we need to make sure that we are hearing from God, that it is premised on on truth and biblical context is applied, while also I love the lens of who does God say that they are? Not who do you say that they are? Not what was that experience like when you guys had that conversation or that that situation unfold? Was it a moment of weakness? Like to truly operate in empathy, compassion, and love, we have to go higher than our own emotions. And so that's really been um, something I've been focused in on is not how do I feel because our feelings aren't always facts. It's what what is true about this person. So we have been meeting as a collective in what we call the table every single Wednesday for the entire year, actually. The Lord uh, really dropped it in my spirit when I had my mastermind space open. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have all this free time. What am I going to do? And God said, gather my people. And so for an entire year, we've been gathering faith-based entrepreneurs, uh, a room full of strangers that come together week by week, who some of which have become family, others drop in time to time as that like distant cousin. But when they come to the table, it's this place of safe haven. It's a place of communion. It's a place of just connecting over the real and the raw of what's going on. What's going on in the climate of the world? What's going on in the climate of our world, of our minds, of our hearts, of our spirits, of our business ecosystems and everything else that's happening as a becoming leader, right? None of us have figured it out. We're all on the journey. And so everyone has a voice at the table. And over the course of this year, we have had so many people come in who they wanna be there every single week and just don't have the capability, whether their schedule or whatever it is, and they are unable to be there and they want the they want a recording they want to listen and i'm like no like this is a sanctuary i initially was pretty steadfast i had no hearing from the lord that i was supposed to release it any other way that this was supposed to be a safe space and about eight and a half months in the Lord said, you can share now. And it was a conversation that I brought to the table because it's not mine to share. It's not Anthony's to share. It's a sacred space. And the conversations are getting richer and richer and richer because the presence dwells when we gather in this way. We know when two or more are gathered, there he will be. And he has always been. There's been prophetic understanding. There's been worship. There's been devout prayer. There's been healing that's happened. There's been storytelling. There's been testimony sharing. There's been, um, you know, lens of how do we get by with understanding of obedience, with understanding of discipline, with understanding of the good stuff, right? The rich stuff, the fruit bearing things that we get to experience on this side of heaven. So when we decided we're gonna start recording, I was just gonna do it once a month. And I brought it to the table and everyone was like, no, I want every single recording is so good. How are you gonna decipher when something's gonna happen or when someone's gonna say something that you just really fully need? So we now have a recorded sanctuary. And for those who know us as a mobilized church, this is not news because whenever people listen to virtual churches, they get to hear from the pastor every single week. But the variability on hearing the table is that it's not just the pastors. It's not just the minister. It's not just the people who we're bringing in for an episode. It's a collective. It's the whole body. And it's from people all over, from all different walks of life, from all different entrepreneurial backgrounds. And 
all different elements and spaces in their faith journey too. And it's beautiful. It's so rich. And I really believe that you guys are going to get a behind the scenes. And this is an invitation. This is not a BTS. You don't have to stay behind the scenes. This is an invitation for you to come and dwell with us at the table. And so I hope that this ignites you enough to say, you know what? I want in on that conversation. And your voice will be heard too. But most importantly, your heart will be brought into the union of all of us together. And that togetherness is something that entrepreneurs often experience the opposite of, which is isolation. So no more isolation in our journeys of entrepreneurial mission-driven leadership and no more isolation in our spiritual journeys. This is a time for us to truly commune and for everyone to get the microphone, which is different than the regular church, but it is a mobilized church. And it's the way that Jesus hung out with the people that he loved. And so the people that he was teaching, right? So we're here to teach. We're here to learn. We're here to talk, but we're also here to listen. Tune in to the Founder Collective Table and know you can go to the show notes below and get the invitation to come week by week. It's 12 o'clock Eastern on Wednesdays. We love you. Thanks for joining us at the table. Are you deprived, perhaps discombobulated, maybe even distracted? You want more from life, from relationships, from God. Whether you're in a season searching for purpose or perhaps know your purpose but feeling lackluster or lost in the execution of it, this podcast was created for you. In fact, this isn't just a podcast, it's a movement, and we're on a mission to find the lost, welcome them in, and launch them into their greatest destiny, fully found in Him and founded on the rock. This is a table for a multitude of marketplace ministers to come together for fresh revelation, resources, and revival. Get ready to catch the fire and live fully free, fully found. This is the Founder Collective. Let me hear from you all versus me jumping in and sharing what is the Lord pressing on your heart in the last week specifically. A through line, rhythm, a conversation, a verse. Stan, I think oh you're talking goodness. to us, but you're on mute. What'd you say, Heather? Uh, I was just saying, I was just watching your pedal and preach from yesterday. And like, that's been something that's really been kind of on my heart. It's kind of mm -hmm. funny how God works sometimes. Um, literally a conversation that I had with my husband about some things that very similar that, you know, like, I don't want to be like party pooper and, you know, but how do I engage those situations where there's something that's just really uncomfortable, you know, and do I say something? Do I not? Do I leave? So it's like the perfect timing for, for that. Um, and I really think, you know, just He's really, you know, pressed on my heart to be intentional. That's my word for the year. And, you know, that's one of the things is really kind of maybe figuring out how to speak up in those situations or how to not or how to shift the conversation. So that's kind of really where I've been sitting probably the past week. That's powerful. Well, and, and to give people mm -hmm. context who are listening, who maybe didn't tune into the pedal and preach experience yesterday, I um, just had some uh, awkward situations transpire. And even as you're talking, Heather, I'm thinking about 
how it involves work-life experience often, like whether you're talking to upper management or you're interacting with a male. And I, I know plenty of stories of females who have been in awkward situations with um, someone of the opposite sex where they feel that element of hierarchy or abuse or um, they just don't know how to respond. And I was in nothing of that sort. I was in a, a familial and fr friendly environment, um, but they were having conversations that were not um, uh, righteous. I'll just say. And I was sitting there because they're longstanding friends. And my defense mechanism often is to smile or laugh or to kind of just be a chameleon of agreement with people. And I knew in that scenario that God was calling me higher because I had that spirit of conviction that was just like welling up inside of me. And I'm like, this is not okay. I feel so uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. And I, I in the moment, didn't do anything until I got in my car. And then I ended up praying my whole way home to be able to just um, almost repent in the sense of, I wish I said something, but also like, I don't even know how to navigate this. So let me just pray because they're not in the same level of maturity or revelation or obviously spirit of conviction. And so that's going to continue to happen for us as marketplace ministers, as friends, as spouses. I mean, the list goes on. And so ultimately um, on Sunday, as God always does so sweetly, that was what the entire sermon was about. That was what the worship session was about, was basically how to be a better friend. And I think if we look to maturing other people and allowing people grace at the exact same time, we have to be willing to confront. And so even this morning, I scripted out a what would seemingly be a confrontational email in love and truth that I have been waiting to send pretty much for eight months now. You know, when you script and you script and you script and of the conversation that you know you need to have, but you just keep avoiding because you think, oh, it's better that I just keep silent or maybe we just go in different, different seasons, different reasons that we're friends. And so we're just going to go separate. And after those several things, and Heather, I didn't even share this on that, that moment because it really just was dropped in my spirit this morning, is if you want to be a good friend, you have to be willing to confront hard conversations. And so I'm going to open the floor. Maybe there are some people here who are listening who have been in scenarios like that or are walking through it now who need insight, wisdom, biblical context. Um, how do other people do confrontations well? And how do we help equip the body of Christ or even those who are not yet in the family of God? How do we still not look like the hoity-toity uh, goody two-shoes, but we call them higher into a conversation of maturity and wisdom and work? and wealth rather than something is like slimy and pointless. And that's ultimately how I felt. I was just like, this is such a wasted time. I want to go deep. I want to have a rich conversation. I don't want it to be like that buddy, buddy friend situation of like drinking in the bars when you're 20 and you don't have anything good to say. So don't say anything at all. Isn't that what they say? So what's landing with people? I'd love to hear. Heather, thanks for opening this conversation. You know, what comes to my mind and, and I, so I, I posted the other day on my Facebook that, um, Gary Chapman's coming to our little town for his, his first seminar this weekend. And I got not long later, a, a message from a friend that said, Hey, can you share this with my husband? And somehow non, you know, non like coming from me. And, um, she said, cause we've been separated and I had no idea. It's just an acquaintance I have. And after a conversation with her, I realized like, 
not only is it with the people close to us, but if we know of situations outside of that, that we might be able to impact somebody, like what would Jesus do? What would the Lord do if he were sitting on this earth and he saw a marriage being destroyed and he knew that maybe, maybe the person's not going to listen. Maybe they'll turn the other way, but what if, Like, what if I did reach out to this guy and say, hey, I noticed you marked yourself as separated and like, what's going on? And can Anthony and I help you guys? And they might not be going to church and Christ followers, but that's who we're supposed to be seeking anyway. And so what if he gets mad at me? Like, I could possibly save a marriage, help through Jesus, save a marriage by just saying, you know what, it is, you are worthy of my time to stop and care. So it's hard, but I've been trying to put myself, I keep just thinking, what would the Lord do? What would Jesus do? There were times that people sought him and he did things, but there were also times like the woman at the well, when he had to just stop and say, and, and she wasn't necessarily seeking that in that moment, but I think that's a good example. I think that's an excellent example. And I think understanding that it's a healthy conversation it's out of love that we're bringing things to attention and not out of ego not out of um anticipation to hurt or harm you know um and like you said they have an opportunity to respond at they, they can respond as they want to respond um but i think the biggest thing that we want in as humanity is to be seen known and loved and so often there's isolation in scenarios like that. I know for me, when I was walking through marital struggle and I was being seen by a counselor that I was not fully showing myself to. So I think that there's a lot of camaraderie in isolation that isn't healthy. And that's ultimately what was happening in this conversation. There was camaraderie happening because it was the easy conversation to have. Meanwhile, I'm certain that the hard conversations that we should have been having to encourage and lift one another up in that scenario were things like broken marriages, were things like big life decisions that had to be made, were things like ailing children. And so we're we're negating what other layers of support we can receive simply by being seen, known, and realized in the fact that we're loved. And so addressing and having crucial conversations, it truly allows people to be seen, even if it feels uncomfortable. And it doesn't feel good in my stomach oftentimes when I'm dealing with it, but I'm like, I know I meant to do this. And so what the biblical reference was, um, is in the conversations of Job, which I know Morgan's here now, and we're doing the Bible recap of Tara Lee Cobble's Bible recap this year. And, um, that's where we're at right now in the chronological element of the Bible and seeing how Job's friends, if you want to call them that, I'm not sure he called them friends later. Hopefully there was redemption in their friendship. I can't recall that part scripturally, but um, the way that they showed up for him was, was them trying to create their own storyline out of his mess. And we can do this often. We can do this as leaders. We can do this as managers. We can do this as people who have maybe even a sense of maturity or time inside of a situation longer. And we just assume we know what they're walking through. 
And that's not always the case. Everyone's situation is different. Everyone's backstory and past situations are different. And so for us to assumedly um, share our godlins with someone isn't always a healthy way of addressing conflict either, because we're then pointing fingers sometimes, even though we're trying to do it out of love. And I do believe that genuinely Job's friends had love towards him. I mean, they came after all and sat for seven days in silence before they started making some of these storylines up and creating accusations. Does that speak to anyone? Stan, yeah, unmute. Uh, if you actually read the story, a, a friend of mine wrote a book um, about uh, praying for your friends, and it was based on Job. If you actually read the story, it says that Job's fortune was restored to him after he started to pray for his friends, um, which uh, which is very helpful. Um I uh, called, I left a message for a gentleman who betrayed me terribly, cost me lots and lots of time, energy, money, and just about ruined things. And I uh, put an email on his this morning and I said, Dear Verge, at our age and stage, we are going to die soon. So we have to clean up our mess. I will be calling you this afternoon, and I will. Wow, what wild timing that we're sharing this. And uh, I, I will, I will, you know, I, I will be very bold about it. I mean, I mean, I, I, I want to say deep in my heart, mind, and spirit, I want to say I'm sorry. I totally overestimated your creativity courage, devotion, and loyalty. It's all my fault. I overestimated you so much, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest that. I wouldn't suggest that. Oh, well, uh, but but you know what? That's true. That's really true. That's, that, that would be a true statement. Sure. But uh, we're in time... Um, one of the exercises I used to give people, I still do, as I, my long term of coaching, I say, go through and make a list of the people who you wouldn't want to accidentally meet at the airport. That's an interesting exercise. You know, um, and uh, then uh, ask yourself, what would you do so that you wouldn't ever have to think about that when you went to the airport? What if I run into so-and-so? Because you make a point of uh, cleaning up your mess. So um, uh, one of the things I use that word all the time, uh, the Jesus Entrepreneur Experience is meant to actually um, kind of go very similar to The Chosen. We actually began at the same time. And uh, I love I love how Jesus used the word soon. He always said soon. <laughs> well, what soon? You know, well, he's, you know, it could. By the way, we're all going to die soon. <laughs> we are, you know, what, you know, particularly me, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, Jesus loved to play with that term saying, well, well, well when's this going to happen, Jesus? And he'd say soon. Uh, could be a long time. I, when are you coming back, Jesus? I'm coming soon. And so he loves to leave us in the mystery of soon. 
And so um, it just uh, hit me t- today because of uh, that. I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to clean this up today. I'm just going to clean it up today. And uh, then it's up to him uh, to maybe what will happen. But uh, I love that, Stan. And I, I agree. And I, I think about it from the coming back probably more than I do my dying. But that doesn't mean that it's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> but to say that, I I, liter- I I literally think about the element of if Jesus, like we talked about what would Jesus do, and Heather, I want to hear from you next with your hand raised, is uh, what would Jesus think and, and what would that conversation look like between Jesus and I, not the other person, not the person at conflict, not the person in conversation, um, if he said, so what about, insert name, what would my internal response be? What would my facial response be? What would my spiritual response be? What would my emotional response be? There's like a lot of things that are going to translate as he's looking into the sockets of my soul. So what about so-and-so? And I want that part, as you said it well, I want that mess to be clean. I want that part of my heart to feel pure and whether or not something comes out of it that I can manipulate or control. Like I am fully arms open with how the response is going to be after I've done my due diligence that the Lord is asking me to do to confront, share, and face what it is that I've been processing in silent instead of bringing it to the table for open conversation. As a As a sister and brother in Christ, it's our duty to do so. It's not a question of should I, it's a question of when. And so when it comes to soon, um, for me, the soon has come and the soon has come for you too, Stan, is like now's the time. You hear the phraseology of have you prayed about it as much as you've talked about it? And I have prayed about this situation so many months that I'm ready to actually talk to that person about it rather than to talk to other people about it, because that's not solving anything. Um, so Heather, I'd love for you to share. Oh, thanks, Tamara. Yeah, I love, um, Stan, I love that share. And it was, I was thinking about back to, you know, just what you were saying in, in the pedal and preach about friends and, and how sometimes, you know, we hear that, oh, in the spirit, I feel this in my spirit to tell you. And I think a lot of times as humans, we sometimes don't know when to be quiet. We're not comfortable with it. That's our flesh, right? Um, and I think the great thing about Jesus is that he knew when to listen, right? He knew when to engage and he knew when to speak, but he knew when to listen and he knew when to hear. And that side of us where, you know, we're human and we want to say something to console someone. We want it, we want it to be tied up for them. We want to help them to resolve it. And that's not always the case. And so going back to what you said on the pedal and preach about, you know, if we're thinking about, is this a spirit of Jesus? Is it a demonic spirit that's actually speaking? Is this our, our human flesh that's, that's trying to resolve the situation or a solution or move someone in a way that God is not moving them? And I think if we can stop ourselves and look at, at the scriptures that we're sharing or, you know, speaking, you know, life and love, you know, if we're leading with empathy, compassion, and love for someone, which is in the way that Jesus engaged most people, like Erica said, the woman at the well, you know, if we're leading with those three things, I think we're more likely to capture the spirit of scripture and when we're using scripture 
to help someone rather than to build our own narrative and solve things from our own standpoint, especially in those situations where, you know, like Stan said, we need, you know, the email of, of you know, healing a relationship or whatever. I think we have to come at it from that same perspective of empathy, compassion, and love, you know, and what does God say about that other person? You know, how do we relate to that person, you know, in spite of what the differences may have been or what the hurts may have been? Um, And that's how we move in love. And that's how I think we can show, you know, the work of Jesus and the fruit of Jesus in our lives is by basically moving through that empathy, compassion, and love. And not that I just feel it in my spirit. So I'm going to say it. And here's a fun scripture to go along with it, because I feel like sometimes we really misinterpret that and it's not what God means at all through that. I think that goes back to emotional intelligence and spiritual maturity and being able to discern those differences. Cause I, I, I know as a young Christian in, in having that sense of like, I think the spirit is, and I've actually been leaning into um, spiritual wisdom from brothers and sisters in Christ to say, hey, this is what I'm hearing. What do you have to say about this before I bring it to a public platform? And I'm constantly, even with Pedal and Preach, I'm just like, press play, let's go. God, I trust you that it's going to come out as it should and that you block the ears of the people who aren't meant to hear it. But when we go into conversation and especially confrontation of with said conversation, it, we need to make sure that we are hearing from God, that it is premised on, on truth and biblical context is applied while also I love the lens of who does God say that they are, not who do you say that they are, not what was that experience like when you guys had that conversation or that that situation unfold? Was it a moment of weakness? Like to truly operate in empathy, compassion, and love, we have to go higher than our own emotions. And so that's really been um, something I've been focused in on is not how do I feel because our feelings aren't always facts. It's what what is true about this person. And especially when they are in leadership of any sort of kingdom leadership. Um, and, and that's in your home. If you're, if you're a Christian, I, I don't care. I don't need it to have a platform. I don't need it to have a social media presence to say you're in leadership. It's, it's being a, a leader in your home, in your community as a neighbor or whatever that is. Um, this is an opportunity for us to get better at sharpening each other's swords. And I know being on the opposite side of that, um, I thought about Adam and Eve as you were talking, Heather, and when they they fell into a place of shame, they didn't even want to confront their loving father. They didn't even want to confront their maker, the one who literally walked in the cool of the day with them, who never cast shame, who operated in empathy, compassion, and love. And so they ran to go hide themselves, to remain in isolation. And I've been on the other side of said scenario where I know I'm in the wrong, and it's so much easier to run and hide, to to go the opposite direction, to not face that hard situation because I don't want to feel blamed or I don't want to take ownership or whatever that feeling is. And so it's also on the other side, the receiving side of, man, here's the ownership that I bring to this table. And that's the way that we should constantly be coming to a situation and a conversation that can be difficult. I'd love to hear from anybody else. We're talking about crucial conversations, healthy conflict in the body of Christ, and how to spur one another on towards loving good deeds. I got a lot to say. 
I knew you would. I knew it. <laughs> I think one of the most overused sayings within the body of Christ is, I feel like the Spirit told me to say this. Because you should never have to preface what you say with that if it's from the Holy Spirit. Jesus never said, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, told me to say this, told me. What was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The purpose of the Holy Spirit was to connect Jesus to the Father so he could see and hear what the Father said and did. That's That was the activation of him in the ministry. I, I think so many people within the body of Christ get stuck on thinking the Holy Spirit's to get you into heaven or to validate that you're going to heaven. That's not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's purpose is to get heaven into you. And then Jesus said, they'll know you by your fruit. And it's because your fruit will either be your fruit or the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not what you say, it's how you say it. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. So I think too many times when people say that, the moment they say it, my ears are on high alert that this is probably your emotion because nine times out of 10, that statement is not based out of the Holy Spirit. It's based out of insecurity. Too many people struggle in a place of not trusting themselves, so they need to validate what they're about to say. That way, if they mess it up, it's not on them. I think that statement is also connected to a failure and an abuse of one of the commandments. God said, thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. How many people in a moment of insecurity and stuck in their feelings say a statement like that and are actually using the Lord's name in vain instead of just saying something and somebody being able to test, because the Bible talks about a discernment or a testing of spirits, Discernment is a, a something we need to begin to practice within the body of Christ. When somebody says, I feel like the, the Spirit told me to tell you this, your discernment should be on high alert to say, I'm listening because I want to know if the Holy Spirit in me is receiving. Prophetic words that are given to you, you need to be able to hear that from God, not just from a person. I guarantee you, God's not going to use a person to tell you something he's already trying not, or he's already been trying to tell you. I've never received a prophetic word that's just, oh my gosh, this is like a mind-blowing event. You're telling me I'm supposed to go to Egypt, and I've been, I had no, that wasn't even on my radar. Now, the specific place or whatever the thing is may not have been on my radar, but it has already been a nudging in my spirit to move. Generally, God's been telling me something. I'm like, I don't know about that, God. And then somebody comes and says it, and I'm like, oh, you just validated what the Holy Spirit's been telling me. Otherwise, what we're saying is that somebody else has a Holy Spirit that I don't have. It's a different voice. Think of it in this regard. It's like your parents. If your sibling came to you and said, hey, you need to go to, you need to shut up and go to bed. They would probably say, hey, mom told me to tell you, you need to shut up and go to bed. You know, right then and there, mom didn't say that. But what if instead of saying, mom told me to say this and then say something crazy, they said, hey, it's time for us to go to bed. We need to go to bed so we can be able to get up early in the morning. Does that sound like something your mother would say? And but not only that, they didn't do it with an accusatory tone. They did it with, I know I'm part of this too. And I realize this is for the best of us. So now it's not only what they're saying, because that's what your mother would say. It's how they're saying it, which is how your mother would say it. If we begin to say what the Holy Spirit tells us to say and do it in the way he tells us to say it, there's a discernment of spirits to say, that's probably your feelings, but I'll listen because sometimes maybe what you see and you've experienced is helpful. 
But sometimes the Holy Spirit will try to use that and connect with me. So we've created a, a, a pocket in the church that is so insecure that they need people to constantly talk to them in the Holy Spirit because they can't listen to it for themselves or they won't put the time and energy to go listen for themselves. This is the broken place of church, of a group of people. This is the problem with a lot of people who know of God but don't know God. Because if we all knew it, we would know right off the bat when somebody says, I feel like, okay, that is the Holy Spirit. Because there is times when people say that, but that's become the common nomenclature to say something that is deeper than them. But I don't think you have to put that on it. I believe if we really understood the Spirit, knew how he talks to us, knew the connection to God that it connects us with, we would hear it, we would see the way it's carried out, and it would just, it would go without saying. You know a person in your life, I guarantee if you're a Christian, you know somebody in your walk that when you hear them speak, it is a deeper, tangible connection to God. And that they don't have to say, God told me to tell you that when they speak to you, your spirit connects with their spirit and you receive what the Holy Spirit's giving to you through what they're saying. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it's so powerful, Anthony. It's crazy. You jumped right in and you knew exactly what the lens was and the heartbeat of, of what we were sharing in regards to that. And knowing that there's that, um, I love how you said insecurity piece uh, and allowing people to walk through that as well. I think you're so profound at being able to call people higher, like on the spot in situations like that. And it's just like Jesus in the sense of like, and Gary, <laughs> Jesus, Gary and Anthony, <laughs> where they can literally like pivot ever so slightly to have somebody take a different perspective, not in condemnation, not in shame, but in an invitation to have a, a deeper level of understanding, a deeper level of maturity, you're inviting them in to say, and what if, right? Not, but not no. I think that's something we're working on with our own kiddos and myself included. I'm included in the kiddos realm in this way is if somebody says something, specifically someone in our family, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. It's da, 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 da. And it's immediately negating what that person has just said because that's their current truth. And so instead of just cutting it off and saying, no, that's not right, it's more so interesting that you came to that conclusion. My perspective is blah, 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 blah. Or let's go to the word. This is what God says about that. I'm, I'm curious why you have that lens. Tell me more about that. And actually allowing our, us to have a conversation because when I say, no, it's this, it's immediately stopping what could have been a healthy conversation and an opportunity for me to get to know that person more. And so I, I am really being conscientious of that in my language and the way in which I present even um, from stage. And I think that's something as, as speakers and teachers, we really need to be cognizant of. It's not, even when I say like that, that phraseology, pedal and preach, I, I always cringe because I'm like, oh, I never want the people to think that I'm like preaching at them. It really is a teach, like pedal and teach, but that doesn't really go together. And it's also like pedal and inviting you into a conversation because I want you to respond. And so um, I need to play with those words a little bit, but to realize from stage, from a microphone, from a podcast, which you guys are on and a part of right now, it's this knowledge that our words carry such weight. We can speak life, 
we can speak death. And so for us to be cognizant of that and not allow our insecurities connected, well, the spirit said, I love that when someone dwells with God and they walk with God, it's evident. And that part is beautiful. It's, it's I want to learn from people who have that richness connected to the way in which they serve their words to people because it is a service. You're serving out that wisdom. You're serving out that maturity or lack thereof. I think we don't run away from the word preach, though, just because of what it's become. So you it's said right. a lot of things, and this has been the problem within the church, is too many preachers preach at people. The difference between preaching at somebody and preaching to them is you connect with them. You're positioning them to receive what you're giving them instead of throwing it at them. And I think that's what you do is you do in a conversational sense. So don't shy away from what preach has become because you have the ability to walk into what preach actually is. I I always use this uh, example. God really had to wake me up and show me this because I grew up in a church that preached at people. I witnessed even in my worst days, you go out and you're at the club and all the things you walk out and there's preachers preaching at people. It's become the voice and the mechanism and the method of the church. But it showed me from a football perspective, a quarterback and a receiver, they have a relationship. But if they didn't, the quarterback <clears throat> is going to throw a ball. And if he doesn't know where the receiver is going to be, if there's not a conversation about the route they're running, the play they're calling, he's going to throw that at the receiver. And if the receiver is not aware to turn and, and catch at the right time, he's going to hit him with the ball. And it's like the same way with preaching and teaching to somebody. If we don't position them through communication relationship on where we're trying to get them to, then we're just preaching at them, teaching at them. We can do this with our kids all day long. It's not just a preaching mindset. It is, are we yelling at our kids or are we speaking to our kids? Are we speaking at our kids or speaking to our kids? It is the posture of giving and receiving, and it requires both parties to be on pace. But then the extension of that was, so it changed for me is I don't want to be a preacher that preaches at my people. And in order to do that, I've got to know them. I got to know my church so I can position them to receive. They got to trust me. I've got to trust them so we can have that exchange to know that I'm not going to wound you with this. I'm trying to prepare you to take the next step because a really good quarterback and a good receiver, not only are they positioning themselves to just receive the ball, a good quarterback will throw the football in advance of the receiver. He's positioning them to not only catch it, but to take it further to go the length of the field that he can't go. A good preacher, a good teacher, a good Christian who's seeking, a good parent who's seeking to disciple and raise people up, never wants them to be limited to what they can see or to where they've been. You are trying to put something in their hands, positioning them to go further than you're able to go. And I think that's the beauty of the church. When we really begin to walk in it. It requires to know the person you're preaching to. You can't preach the same thing to everybody because everybody's not ready to receive it. Be very careful with that because if somebody doesn't know Jesus, you're going to minister to them differently than somebody who's sitting in a church pew. And if you don't, that's crazy because if they don't know the Holy Spirit, they don't understand the language, they're not going to receive what you've been given. That's why a lot of people have shied away from the church because we use the same lingo. We expect them to understand our language. And so in that place, if they don't understand it, we don't have a relationship. We're preaching at them. So we're just wasting our words. And in most cases, people are being wounded with that because they're not. And y'all may have heard me share this and I'll shut up. So the Bible is called the sword of the spirit, right? And I said earlier, talking about the spirit, 
It's the spirit's sword, not ours. So why do we continue to wield it under our own understanding and ability instead of letting the Holy Spirit tell us when to use it, when not to use it? On the battlefield in the olden days, a sword could be used for two things. It could be used to kill somebody or to heal somebody. If you've been wounded, and everybody has, and you're bleeding in some area, a sword could be used to amputate that piece of body that's killing you. What is required for me to heal you versus kill you, there has to be a relationship of trust. Because if you don't trust me that I'm swinging the sword to save your life, what's your natural response? And in that moment, I don't get to the place I'm trying to get to, and I wound you or kill you because there was not a level of trust in that space. The sword of the Spirit's the same way. It says it gets to the heart of the problems, but there has to be a trust there with somebody, and it's the Holy Spirit's sword. It's the Holy Spirit, so he knows when and how. So we build up that level of trust with that person, so they trust us and we wield that. We're not trying to kill them. We are really trying to heal them and save them, but it requires that relationship, that piece of it. Um And I think that's just a powerful place of all of us. Every one of you have people in your life who trust you. That's the moment that God begins to give you the right words at the right time. The scripture, that's not just a surface thing to toss at somebody. You need to read this, but it's, wow, I know your place you're in, and this has really been put on my heart, and it's not the Spirit told me to say, I want to give this to you. And they know it's from a deeper place than that surface relationship that they have with others. They know it's coming from a place that you really care for them, and you want to tend to that place of hurt and brokenness. If I may, that reminds me of uh, some stories, if if you if I can. Yes, please. Uh, and Stan, please look in the chat. I sent you a message to apologize for not reaching out to you. Okay. You need to connect. Um, long time as a broadcaster and as a business coach for about 30-some years. Um, one of the lessons I learned, and we teach this in the Jesus Entrepreneur Experience, was the old line is, uh, the master teacher came into the world and he told stories and asked questions. So what do we do? We preach sermons and give answers. Um, and we do. Um, about seven, eight years ago in Arizona, um, we started a church in our upper scale retirement community. You know one, one of those. And uh, we started it. And it was very, very successful because the whole church was geared toward, we called them the encore. You know, we're not senior citizens. We're not old people. We're we're, we're on Encore. We're looking for God's next project in our life. And we had a young pastor come from the church, and um, he was not liked at all. Young guy. And uh, I finally brought him aside, and I said, you know what? Can I just give you an old man's suggestion? <laughs> You're preaching at us. And you know what? You could be better if you had preached to us. But you know what we really want? Why don't you just speak with us? Mm, just speak so with us, you know? Uh, one one time in my life, I just, I, I asked a woman I've been referred to, um, and she, so she called me up, and I referred, and I, I said to her, like I usually do as a coach, I said, well, uh, you know, why did, why did you call on me, you know, you know? What do you want? You know, the old Jesus, Jesus' favorite question was, you know what it was? What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? You know, what do you want me to do for you? 
By the way, we should ask the Jesus question all the time. What do you want? Just what do you want? And um, she said to me, well, my friend Peter said that Stan Houston will listen to you like you've never been listened to before. Um, and I think sometimes, you know what? I got, I made more money and got more results by just letting people talk at me. And they figured things out all by themselves. And I got the credit and I got the check. <laughs> but it was just that I was so profoundly listening to them, you know, that um, it came to them. Now, I, I honestly believe part of that was because I, I oftentimes prayed while I was listening. And I would say, okay, God, give them the deal, <laughs> you know. And I wasn't usually coaching in a Christian context at all. This was with corporations and things like that. But that I, that idea of being very present, you know, as I would say, be fully present in no place else, and uh, and and just just be there, you know, and and see what happens. By the way, that also creates a little bit of mystery. And as I oftentimes say. Uh, if, if if you read, I, I love the line that Bill Hybels one time used. He said, "If you're re, if you're really deep in the spirit, you'll keep people off balance. <laughs> they can't quite figure you out." And uh, that's a powerful way to influence people, uh, particularly in the business world. I had to tell my women, "This is, by the way, this is not fair, but oftentimes." A woman has to actually cultivate a sense of mystery a bit um, to express a little bit of power and not be taken advantage of. Uh, uh, and so, you know, just uh, having a having a sense of spiritual mystery and confidence, you know, uh, is sometimes very helpful. So good. Mm -hmm. I love that. Speak with me. Speak I think with me. Transition that a lot, um, yeah. and we we're the broken part of that is from a speaker mentality. Yeah. It's hard for us to see that it is a conversation. That's yeah. one of the things I've tried to practice very well. Like if you listen to my podcast or if you listen to me preach, I talk about that quite often. Is I don't want this to be one sided conversation. I hope that I'm putting you in a place to have an internal conversation. I hope I'm putting you in a place to have a conversation and allow God to speak to you in that moment, and you're not just hearing me talk at you. Like, I hope there is a process within you. I hope it opens doors many times, and it does, for somebody to come back to me after the fact, and let's talk about it. Um, but I never want it to be just that one-sided, hey, listen to me speak, and you're in receive mode. It needs to be that churning place. You need to be in places with people. I hope this does that. I hope you can, if you're not in the conversation, you're sitting there because you can't be, or you don't feel like you, you have a space in there. I hope it's generating conversations within yourself, getting those things inside of you moving, letting the Holy Spirit begin to challenge and talk with you at those places. Like that's the beauty of what um, intentional speaking and conversation does. It sparks something within you to respond, um, to react, to begin to challenge, listen, grow. So, 
And what Stan just shared too about the question of what do you want, uh, I think is a really critical question that we don't ask of ourselves a lot when we're going into conversations with people or going in to even speak. Um, if you're asked to speak on a podcast or asked to come to an event, or you know that you have to, in a juxtaposing position, um, you're going to face this, this hard conversation as we were talking about out the gate. What do you want? And then, of course, to go to God and what do you want out of this, Lord? What do you want out of this? Because we might want what is not his will. And we might want out of our flesh and our ego and ultimately our sin. And so it's this knowledge that has to be shifted and we've got to get rooted in the word in order to do that. But I think even asking the person who has asked you to come speak is like, what do you want out of this? What are you hoping that they will receive on the other end? What is the movement point from point A to point B? So if I go into sticky situation, I'm like, okay, currently this is the situation. If I could in his will, what would the outcome be? Not because I'm the one in control, because he's in control, but I want his will to be accomplished through said scenarios, through said situation. And ultimately, if the answer is not kingdom expansion expansion and mutual benefit, I think that's a thing that we're also not really good at. Like there should be a mutual benefit in situations. If it's just benefiting you to have an outcome, it's likely not of God's nature because he wants what's best for all of his children. And so that's a lot of like the processing that I've had to do whether they're again in his um in in love with the lord if they know him yet or not because we want to be if not in that situation even more excellent in the execution um a simple strategy when i was thinking about those conversations that i was having that i felt uncomfortable in and they aren't in relationship with the lord in the same way that i am if at all is what is a healthy conversational shift a tool, a question, something that I could have on my belt to be able to put in the forefront of a conversation that guides everyone away from gossip, slander, unhealthy communication, things that just don't feel good or they're very tension oriented. Um, that playful camaraderie, and I'm sure you could speak to this in the military context when guys are talking about things they shouldn't be talking about and it's not evoking the character of Christ in anyone based on the conversation that you're having. And so um, there's so many simple tools and it's ultimately rooted in questions. And so writing a ship based on a question is something we have to get better at. And so that's something I've really leaned into and am allowing my husband, who is so good at question asking, um, to support me in. I, I literally asked him the question the next day, what question could I, could I have asked to help this scenario? And he pondered it and he had great ideas on the other side. I'm like, oh, I wish I was quick on my feet like that. And so I think that one of the biggest things that I didn't do in this conversation um, was to stand up to write myself in my spirit. I didn't need them to be right in their spirit, to take a beat, go to the bathroom, breathe in, Lord, what question could I ask to write this conversation? Instead of going with what was happening and being a chameleon of a situation that I wasn't comfortable in. So I'm just sharing some of my own faults and things I'm working on, but I hope that it helps you as you're processing crucial conversations. 
on your own conflict and how you can create resolution before it's too late. And it wasn't too late. I learned a ton on the other side and was even had people coming to me afterwards being like, I'm so sorry that you were in that awkward situation, right? So they recognized that I wasn't meant to be in that conversation, which in and of itself is pretty wild that I didn't have to say a thing, even though I didn't feel like I was standing up for myself in that moment or standing up for Christ in that moment. They knew that because they thought about it enough then a day later to send me a text about it. So there's, there's things that will happen just because your presence is known and his presence is there. And that was what was happening. It wasn't about me being at the table. It was because of the Christ in me that they felt that conflict of interest in their own spirit. And so in allowing God to actually show up and letting his presence precede you, um, even if you are going to remain silent in your discomfort, which is what I did. Sometimes that lack of participation participation is so much bigger because if you would have stood out and said something, then it comes off as confrontational. Then you get back to those fruit of the spirit is, is that how he would have handled that? But that lack of participation, that release, that step back, like I'm not going to be involved in it. Now somebody sees your posture towards it. You're taking a stand, but it's in that beautiful moment of that. Yeah. And some of the right people will see it. Right. And I think the the variable was, and this is what I said before you had gotten on, Ant, was that my natural tendency of um, awkward deflection of energy is to smile. And that sometimes your silence and your smile or your facial expression can be an agreement to said situation without you saying anything. And so because I was like, wow, this is really awkward. And I was smiling. They could have perceived it as this is kosher conversation. And Tamara's here even if she's not talking. And so I, that's where I was like, man, I need to wear my face differently. Morgan and I always have a conversation. She's like, I got the worst face. I share all my emotions on my face. I need to fix that. And sometimes that's actually powerful though. So my smile while engaging in sweet can also be an agreement in scenarios that I don't want to be agreeing with. Yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking of too, as you were talking about, um, kind of going through our, our thought process, what we think, um, you know, in the Jewish culture, you had to have two witnesses to prove something. And I think this is something we have to begin to understand in the body of Christ, because going back to the, the thought process of the Holy Spirit told me to do this, we have two witnesses on all things. We have the, the word of God and we have the spirit of God, and both of those will never counteract each other. So then, if we have the Word of God, which doesn't change, it's right here in front of us, now we're questioning whether the Spirit of God changes based on what we feel or a really understanding of the Spirit of God's telling us, or it's um, something we ate at midnight last night that's settling in our stomach that's got us messed up, or if it's a feeling because it's based on a hurt or an insecurity, that's why we respond the way we do. So then understanding that realistically why Jesus came to make the church the way he did was because when you get people around you who hear the same spirit, you now have the ability to bounce off of those spirit-filled people. This is what I'm feeling in my body. Is this something? And that's why you need people. It's why you need church in your life to hold you and your own personal spirit accountable that it's not you, that it is God. So there in that place, then you have the word of God, but then you also have the community, the ecclesia of the church where two or three are gathered in his name. He'll be there also. This is a declaration of people when you're gathered in his name. Now you have that 
a fullness of a connection to the spirit, not just yours, which can be construed or misconstrued as yours when it's or his when it's actually yours. But then you have that sounding board of spirit filled people to begin to say, this is where I've been. I'm struggling in that. So somebody this the hard place is you can get around people like, oh, yeah, that's good. But then if it counteracts the word, then that's just as broken, too. So finding that place of those two witnesses in your life when you struggle in those things. That's powerful. Powerful. See, and I think you're trying to share, but you're muted. We have to mute everyone because we've had some podcast sound issues. So when you're ready to chat, we're here for you. This is an old Houstonism from many years ago coaching, but it really helps, I think. This is what I learned. A truth told is good, but it's seldom heard. A truth revealed, revelation, a truth revealed has greater yield. But a truth discovered is best of all. And a truth imposed is no truth at all. We seek to help people discover the truth for themselves. You know, Stan, just in line with that, I, I shared a couple of weeks ago that we just changed our mission and vision statement here at our church. And it was based in that process because church wants to be a place of truth. But it is, I want to be a place where love is experienced, value is restored, and truth is revealed. Because I believe it is in shifting people's posture to trust through love and value, which the world around us, it's, that's not the language of the world. It's not the language of the enemy. God's language, I believe, is love and value. And it's in that place of trust, now their position for truth to be revealed to them. But I love that perspective of it's the truth be told. That's where we've tried to be good at. We want to be the one that guides people into all truth. But that's the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us. Like I said it. They said it's good, but it's seldom heard. A hundred percent. But it's that posture change. Yeah. And uh, if help, help, helping reveal it. And in some way, you know, they, oh, now they own it because they discovered it themselves. It wasn't that Why damn Jesus preacher. Question. It wasn't that damn preacher told me that. It was me who got the message. It's why Jesus asked questions. That's he right. wanted to lead them to a place where they find it on their own. Where the penny would drop later. Right. He was brilliant. Yes, he By was. The way, the way, that's what we call the Jesus Entrepreneur Experience. You can learn how to be an entrepreneur just by looking at Jesus' life. Just his life. Watch him. He's really smart at building a world-class company. Three years, and the company's lasted for 2,000. How in the world did he do that? You know, I said it this way from a church perspective, Stan. We spend a lot of time in the church focusing on what he said. But Jesus didn't actually say anything new. Right. He could have stayed in heaven, and the same, same, same things could have been said. He came here because he wanted to show us how to say them. So it's not on what he said. It's how he said it. It's how he did it. That was the example we're meant to receive in that place. And he must have had a he must have had an incredible personal presence. I, I do this in how did Jesus communicate? And I if, I don't know if any of you have seen the original movie Ben Hur. I mean the original one. Back when 1959, when I was 14 years of age, <laughs> there was 
the Ben-Hur. And in the story, Judah Ben-Hur is now because of the thing. He's being led off to the galleys to die. And they're taking him, and this is played by Charlton Heston. And they come into the city of Nazareth for a water break before they're going to take him to the galleys. And all of a sudden, they fall down, they're dreaming, and someone is giving, the, the people in Nazareth are giving water to these poor prisoners. And all of a sudden, the, Ro the Roman centurion looks at Ben-Hur and says, no water for him, no water for him. And then the, he falls and he says, oh, God, help me. And then all of a sudden, the screenwriter, there's a little strange music. And all of a sudden, you see the back of a man coming up, bends down and starts giving water to him. And all of a sudden, the Roman soldier sees him and he comes running up and says, I said no water for him. I said no water for him. And all of a sudden, he looks at Jesus and he backs off. It's my favorite scene ever in life. He just. And he saved Ben-Hur's life. And that's what Ben-Hur remembered when he saw Jesus died. That was the man <laughs> who saved my life by pushing the Roman soldier away just with his presence. Oh, I just, I just get thrilled when I think about that. And I say, Lord, give me the power of your presence sometimes that I don't have to say a darn thing. It just is there. That is powerful. Yeah. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Because it goes back to that where we we're at in the beginning. You don't have to say the Holy Spirit told me to tell you uh -huh. this. It comes with the presence. It comes, it's not you. I love those moments when I'm in conversation with somebody and you just, you feel led to say something. And it's almost like you had this out of body experience because you know, it wasn't you, you know, you're not capable. That's, right. of that. That's the moment that even the speaker now is caught in the presence because you see the response in that person's spirit. You see the connection that's made and you're like, that wasn't me. That was straight from heaven to you. So now you are in that place of presence. You've been like a carrier. Like there's no doubt about that moment. It's so tangible. And you and, didn't even yeah. know you said it sometimes. 100%. No, you said it. Somebody will say to me like, remember what you said? And I was like, actually, I don't have the I don't, yeah. idea what I said. <laughs> no, but I, I truly believe that. I think we miss that when we read scripture people understood who Jesus was. He carried oh. heaven with him. Like when he walked into a room, something shifted. Yeah, right. And that's the call for the church is when we walk into a room, we don't have to say anything. It's what we don't say sometimes. It's how we respond to somebody. It's, it's just changing the way we do things. We get so focused on trying to validate ourselves by what we have to say, what we have to do. And sometimes it's just like, I just want to change the way you do it. Because the moment you walk in the room and you shift and act differently, somebody takes notice because you stand out against the crowd. Chris, come with it, bro. Uh, I wasn't going to share anything, and I was like, okay, Lord, if you want me to share this, I'm going to share it. And then every time, every time. You say that every week, so stop saying it. <laughs> it happens every week because I'm like, Lord, I don't want to speak unless you want me to open my mouth. I don't want to just share to share. Uh, I don't want to hear myself. 
And and so you guys are saying this, you know, talking about, you know, the presence. And so four weeks ago, three weeks ago, we found out there was black mold in our apartment. So we had to we had to move out. So our our landlord put us in an Airbnb down in Venice Beach um, and we were living up like closer to Hollywood. And when I first moved here, I lived in Venice Beach and one of my roommates um, was still living down there. And I was like I was down there and I was like, hey, let's let's meet up for lunch. And so we ended up going to actually dinner instead. And he's Muslim. And so I was like, I'm not going to talk about God at all. Like, and, and it was my day off. It was like my, my rest day. Like I didn't do my morning, you know, Bible study. Uh, I, it was just like, I need a day to just rest. And so it was like, this is just going to be a hangout. And we're sitting there, we're having a conversation. He's talking about how, you know, his dream, he's a, he's a rock musician. His dream is to, to be the most successful musician in the world. And he wants the cars and the houses and the girls and all these things. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him. I'm joking around with him. I love him. He has such a good heart. Um, and he's just pursuing the things of the world. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, why am I here? Like, why am I even having this conversation? It's so empty. Like, it's it's entertaining, but it's so empty. And I'm like, Lord, what is this? Like, because I've changed so much. The last time I, I met with him, I mean, he saw me when I wasn't a believer. And and so we're having this conversation and he's like, you know, he keeps chasing girls. And I'm like, well, what do you, what's, what's inside that makes you chase these girls so much? He's like, I just feel empty. I feel empty inside. And I was like, oh yeah, I get that. That's, that's how I was. I was empty. I had success. I had a company. I gave it all away, moved to a third world country, you know, tried to find that, that fulfillment. And he said, did you find it? And I was like, yeah. And he said, what is it? And I said, it's Jesus. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Here we go. And, and, and we start talking and I'm like, I tried everything. And I was like, you don't know this, but since I was 19, I've been in back to back to back relationships for 15 years because I was terrified to be alone because women were my source of fulfillment. I've been single for two years and I have no desire to date anyone because I'm finally fulfilled because I have Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, dude, this is true. Jesus is real. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I can feel it. And he said, I know this is true because I can see God on you. And he said, I know God's on you. And when you texted me the other day, I could feel God in your message. You're so different. I just see God on you. And he's like opening up and he's like, he felt this overwhelming uh, truth and happiness. And he said, I don't need the music and the money and the girls. What I've been looking for my whole life is God. That emptiness in my heart is because I haven't had God. And we have this conversation. I'm in tears. He's in tears. He's like, I feel like I just got released from prison, that I was chasing the wrong thing. He said, I know that God put me here to do something big, and I know I don't have a relationship with him. And we're having this conversation. I'm blown away. And I'm like, I had this revelation. The number one reason why God allowed mold in our apartment to get us to move is so that I could have this one conversation with you. All of this happened for you because Jesus will leave the 99 to find the one that's lost. You are the one that's lost. And this whole thing, this whole massive inconvenience is happening so we can have this conversation right here, right now. And he said, I know that's true because I've been feeling like God has wanted to say something to me for the last week. He's just been showing me things and showing me things. And I'm like, yeah, it's Jesus. It's not Allah. It's not God, the universe. It's Jesus Christ. And he accepted that. And, and we're walking away. He's coming to church on Sunday. Um, and he's like, 
I'm here to change the world with my music. He said, the, the music industry is evil. The devil is like in it. And he said, I want to bring a message of light to people. And I was like, then you need Jesus for that because he's given you amazing gifts and skills. And you've been, you've continued to hit wall after wall after wall because you're pursuing the things of the world. You're pursuing the money and the sex and the fame and all of that. When you pursue Jesus, you'll see success because you're pursuing the right things. And he was like, I've never felt so happy before in my life. I feel free. I feel like I've been in prison my whole life and now I'm finally free. And I just messaged him yesterday because it's like, I wonder if he's still feeling good. Like, I wonder if it like wore off and he's just kind of like, you know, it was just the moment. I was like, hey, how are you feeling, bro? And he says, I feel better than ever. Thank you so much. And so he's coming to church on Sunday. Like, and it was just like, man, our presence like I, you know, when we were talking about your words, I think the most powerful words are our actions. Like, you know, there's three levels of creation, thoughts, speech, and action, and actions more powerful form of creation. And it's like, sometimes we don't even need to say a word when we're just being who God has called us to be. And when he said, I can see God on you, I still don't even know what that really means exactly. Um, and I didn't ask because it wasn't, it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to glorify myself or trying to understand. I just... I was happy he was he was having an encounter with God, but it just made me realize that, man, that the, the, the greatest words we can ever speak are our actions. Your actions are your greatest form of preaching. The way you live is your greatest form of preaching. Because I know when I was not a believer, I looked at every believer and I didn't care about a word they said. I looked at how they were living. I looked at how they were living and I constantly do that. When we went to FounderCon, Tamara, that was my first time being with you. I watched... I listened to the conversations and I was like, is she the real deal? Is she who she is on these videos and on the podcast and on social media? Is she the real deal? And I would listen. It's like, wow, she's the real deal. And it increased my faith. And Anthony, same thing. Like, is, is he the real deal? And seeing the conversations, it's like, man. And so it increased my faith. And so it's like our, our, our greatest words, our greatest form of preaching is the life that we live. The greatest sermon that you will ever preach is the life that you live because people can't deny it. They can go against your words, but they can't deny the fruit that is in your life. They can't deny, you know, they can, you can't not look at my mom and say, Jesus isn't real. Like, look at, look at her. You can't deny. Now she says a lot of things that you can disagree with or agree with, but you, what you cannot disagree with is the fact that that woman is transformed. She's set free from drugs and alcohol after 35 years. You can't deny it. And so I believe truly that the greatest sermon we will ever preach, we won't say word. It's the actions. It's the way that we live. Your life is a sermon that represents Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus. And when you live in alignment with that, that's why the word says we're not called to just be readers of the word. We're called to be doers of the word. Because when you do the word, you don't have to say a single thing because people will see God on you. And in them, they will, in you being you, they will have an encounter with Jesus. Like my Islamic friend who's totally against Jesus had dinner with me and felt the presence of God and literally gave his heart to Jesus in that moment. And he's been transformed ever since. It's crazy. And he's going to change the world. He's like, I know I'm here to change the world. I'm here to fight. And I said, bro, you're a warrior in God's army. You just were fighting the wrong battle. The enemy had you fighting on his side. Now Jesus has got you on his side. And now watch what he does with your life. And so I just believe that like we are, we are called to be a demonstration of who Jesus is. And, and those are the people that have led me to my faith. Those are the people when I was a non-believer, I was looking at all these Christians who were, you know, the hypocrites of the world. And, you know, I look at my church, there was one person that I watched when I was in this internship, I was at church 40 or 50 hours a week. And it was our campus pastor. I watched every move that he made. 
And thank God he was an amazing representation of Jesus because that increased my faith. It was like, man, the way he treats people says everything. He's, he can say everything he says on stage, but when it's off stage, who are you off stage? And so I think that, um, yeah, because then you don't practice what you preach, you preach what you practice. And that's a whole different experience because when you, when you preach what you practice, you preach it, but you also have all the fruit to back it up. And there's a level of confidence and conviction. And the reality is when we're in the room with other people who don't believe in what we believe in, whoever has the most conviction will always influence the other person. And your conviction comes from knowing the truth and having fruit that reflects that truth. Like you put me in a room with a non-believer and at the end of it, like I'm not going to be a non-believer. They will be a believer because I have more conviction in who God is than they do. And so whoever has more conviction, whoever has more conviction will always influence the other person. And I know that it's the truth because you want to ask me how many testimonies I have yesterday? I can give you five or six off the top of my head that will blow your freaking mind. And that's just yesterday, the day before that. That's why I have to carry a card around to write them all down because I'll forget them. all. And that's, I believe, how we're called to live. And, and when we do that, how could the enemy, how could the enemy thrive in anyone's life? How could he influence anyone when, when they've got a literally walking, talking demonstration of Jesus Christ right in front of them, which is you. And so that just showed me something that I was just like, wow. And I was like, Lord, it's supposed to be my day off. And on my day off, you're having me lead a Muslim to Jesus and he's going to be here on Sunday. I'm just like, wow, God, you're so good. And, no days and off in the kingdom. No days off in yeah. the kingdom. Yeah. For I got real. a question for you, Chris. If you yeah. received an email before you went and had lunch with this friend and it would have been from Jesus and he said, Chris, I need you to be prepared to lead this man to you. How different would that conversation have been if you'd had a chance to prepare for it? Oh, it would have, it would have been a sales. It would have been a sales call. You would have ministered to what you saw. God mm. didn't need him to hear you. He needed you to hear him. Wow. And what you in that conversation, that's why he shut you down that day. That's why you walked in because you couldn't prepare for that moment. You have been prepared for that moment. He mm. trusted nobody else but you in that place because he's got you positioned to listen to people. You'll begin to hear their hearts over their mouths. Mm. In that moment, you didn't even address what he was saying. You addressed in the moment at the right time. You trusted God's timing and you asked the right question. This is a Jesus moment for you. You asked a question and prompted a response, but he's already been observing you because you gave a man a front row seat to your life even though he doesn't believe like you. You didn't close the door and say, if you don't believe like me and act like me, then you can't be close to me. It's mm. in that place of connection. He has a front row seat to watch the change in your life, to experience the fruit of the spirit that's falling off of you. Mm. And it's in that place of conversation where you're not accusing what you see, you're listening to what you can't. It's in that moment God reveals something deeper to you, but more importantly, it reveals it to him because he's already seen what you say. The moment you said Jesus, he doesn't come off as offended because you're not selling Jesus. You're sharing the hope that lies in you. First Peter 3.15, be ready to give a defense of the hope that lies in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. You exhibited that in every format in that moment. You didn't mm. go in trying to push Jesus into his life. You just got in the same space as him, and he could not doubt 
the genuine nature that you carry because he knows the previous you. He knows the yeah. pursuit you had. So everything you're saying is only, he was there to see it. And now he sees something different, which opened the door for God to speak to him. And that's why I continue to say, God wants to speak their language. He didn't want you to go in there in a King James version and try to give him scripture. He needed to hear it through the pursuit of something that's that's empty. He's chasing something, but he knows that he continues to fall short. He knows the emptiness. God had to get in there on his terms, and now you were able to speak his language because you've been in that same place. Mm. And it's crazy because I forgot to mention this, but he told me three months ago he almost killed himself because he was just so empty inside. And he was just in a really dark place, and he was he wanted to kill himself because he was so unhappy and empty. And to now know that he's got the joy of the Lord in his heart is just incredible. And he said, uh, you reminded me when uh, we were talking, he said, um, uh, I believe you because I've heard a lot of people talk about Jesus, and they're all trying to sell. You're not selling anything. You're speaking the truth, and I can see it with the life you're living. You're changed. You're different. And it's like when we when we're living it, when we're a living, breathing, walking, talking demonstration of the transformation of Jesus, there's nothing to sell. I don't have to sell anything. I'm just excited about life. I'm excited about the life I'm living. I'm I'm blown away by the testimonies. I'm blown away by how God's used me. I'm so honored and humbled. It's it's crazy. And so it for him to see that he wasn't being sold, like it was just a whole different experience. And when you're living the way that the word calls you to live, there's nothing to sell. But there's a lot for people to buy. They want to buy, but you're not selling. And and the reality is, it's like it's it's Jesus. Like it's it's just a totally different thing. Like Tamara, I remember that example you gave when you were on this call and you held up your bowl and it was like a salmon salad, and you're like, oh, it's delicious. There's salmon, um, and I have some. If you want some, I'm not going to sell it to you, but I have it. And if you want it, yeah. And it's like people should be looking at us. We are the light of the world. They should be looking at us as believers and saying. I don't know what you have, but I want what you have. And that's when my heart cracked open Jesus for the first time because we did a conference and John Bevere spoke. And I was like, dang, that old man is on fire. I don't know what he has, but I want it. I've never seen someone so passionate and on fire and alive. And then I found out, oh, he has Jesus. I'm like, what? That was the night my heart cracked open to Jesus for the first time ever. It was just seeing that, that he had what I wanted because I had the deadness and he had the aliveness. And so it's just... It's just amazing. God is just so good. It's just, and he's never ending good. It's like, he's not good. And then he's normal. It's never ending goodness. It was an off day for you, but it wasn't what you thought was off. He had to turn <laughs> off what's between your ears so he could hear mm. what's in your chest. Mm. That's the problem. That's the barrier that limits what God wants to do is right here. Sometimes we have to turn our mind, our understanding off to allow God's understanding there. And as you were talking, I know Tamara is going to share, but uh, this just was in my heart. And this is now going to be a statement of who I am based off what you just said. I don't want to peddle Jesus. I want to carry Jesus. Amen. I just was going to say, like, as a closer to this podcast and when people are listening and even those who are always with us week by week, I love that he waits till the end for you specifically, Chris, because it's always like a combination of all these things. But the biggest thing that when you speak, you speak actioned people, you teach them in your storytelling, 
man, I could be better at this. Oh, I should try it this way. Oh, I should approach a situation like this. And at the end of the day, it's always approaching it with fire, like fire and the favor follows the fire. And so that is what I love so much about you. It brings, it ignites people into the the fun that it can be to walk with the Lord and the unexpected scenarios that are going to unfold. I'm always like, what story does he have today? Like, it's literally like storytelling with Chris. I get so excited. Just all of those battle cards, all of those cards that you're writing down and keeping note of. I wish that I had done that and I, I need to do that more effectively because truly every single day is such a journey and adventure with Christ. And if we are willing to open our eyes to the impact that we're actually having, um, it changes everything everything. And, and why would you not jump out of bed? Why would you not spring forth into the day? Um, and so that's a way that I love to live, but I always get ignited when I'm around you. So thank you for sharing your, your energy and joy with us. Your life is a declaration of what Jesus said, unless you become like one of these children, your life is filled with such wonder because this is still such an in like an infant stage of you and Jesus. Like some of us who have done this for so long, need to get back to that place of wonder and amazement again. Remember when you were a kid with Christmas and all like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. That's why we love your stories. That's why God's using you in a way is because your childlike amazement, your childlike faith, you're all in a hundred percent. And that's the beauty of what Jesus was saying is not become a child in what you know or what you don't know. It's getting back to that place of just being able to step out in faith and in belief and trust in something bigger. So so beautiful. Thank you, guys. And I, God just gave me this childlike faith, warrior-like fight. Because I have the faith of a child, but I have the fight of a warrior. And I freaking fight for people like it is to the death. And so it's like, thank you guys for sharing that. Because I've never seen myself as childlike faith. Um, but it is just like childlike faith, warrior-like fight. We got to have faith and we got to fight. And like, I'm not going to be a child when I fight. I'm going to be a freaking warrior because I'm fighting against demons. And it's like that balance. But my fight leads to the childlike faith. And my childlike faith encourages me to fight like a warrior. So childlike faith, warrior-like fight. Ooh, thank you, Lord. That's good. Remember when like you were that. a kid, you're like, my daddy's bigger than yours. My daddy can do all these things. <laughs> it's so the same true. way in faith. My daddy is so big, he can do all these things. So that's that childlike faith in our father. So I think to circle it back to the beginning of the conversation, connected to crucial conversations, hard conversations, conflict resolution, all of those pieces, um, this is the best and the biggest conflict that we can resolute, which is all done by God, um, is, is somebody's soul and really repositioning them into uh, eternal life with the Father. And so I, I think we didn't discuss how we could approach a conversation in childlike faith or childlike wonder. And so for it to close this way brings, it kind of like takes that yoke off your shoulders and is like, man, you can go into these conversations with childlike faith, just like when we met a friend on a playground and like yesterday they were, you were the worst person ever. And today you're my best friend. Let's play. Like, let's walk into conversations and relationships like that and be like, man, we can cement this relationship back in that fun memory, back in that place of, of childlike wonder. And so um, that's a, a really cool invitation for people who are listening into from a hard conversation point. 
It's more about the approach than the conversation. That's so true. That's so good. It's the heart posture. Well, we are uh, long over time today. I hope people hung out with us uh, for the whole duration because this ending has been incredible. I'm going to pray us out and encourage those who are listening to the podcast rather than joining us that you guys actually do come and join us every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Eastern. It is rich. It is filling and it really does drive me into the rest of my week. I'm always excited to share with my kiddos and my husband what we discuss. Um, And so it's not just something I take and apply to my business as a founder. It's something that I apply to my life as a mom and wife and friend as well. Uh, God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you that you are in the midst of all of the conversations and that your heart is for us to understand your heartbeat. And that for us to be able to align ourselves with your rhythms of grace, with your unbridled joy, with the way in which we get to show up and serve other people. And ultimately, it all comes back to relationships. It all comes back to connection. And Lord, we just want to have a kindred spirit. God, we want you to guide us into these conversations, into these situations, into these places in which we want to be and showcase all of you and not just portions of you, God. We want that to be like Chris's situation where it was like, I just see God on you. God, that we would just not even be seen, but you would be seen, your radiance be known, and that we would use our words last, God that we would just allow us to remain in silence. And when we do speak, God, that it would be from words of wisdom and that it would be like you in question format so that we can provoke curiosity and we can encourage people and we can equip others in that compassion and empathy and love that Heather spoke to earlier. That's such a character quality and many traits of who you are and how you showed up for people, no matter who they were, no matter where they were in their position of knowing you, God, that ultimately you were always releasing an invitation of love and light and joy and freedom in who you are. We thank you for this time. We pray for all the founders and all the entrepreneurs and all the leaders and all the marketplace ministers and all the people who are coming, who are yet to um, really understand what it is that this mission is premised off of. And we know that there is a rise of the marketplace ministers. And so we are just standing true to that and staying true to you in the process. We love you. We glorify your name and all that we do in your mighty name. We war on and we show up in childlike faith and wonder. We love you. Amen. This is the Founder Collective. 